Ephesians, the sixth chapter, we're going to begin reading. We're going to go through these verses. Uh, in the tenth verse, it says, Finally, my brethren, so this is written to believers, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So God invites you to tap into some strength that comes from him. He said, put on the full armor of God or the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the wiles of the enemy or of the devil. So we know that there are some things he's saying. You're going to need to tap his strength. You're going to need to put on all his armor because there is going to be some kind of battle that's going to come against you in this life. Whether you like it or not, whether you, know, you agree or not, it's coming. It, and maybe something's already passed. Maybe you're in the middle of something. But it's there, and he wrote these things for the believers so they could win out. In other words, a believer does not have to be overcome by certain things. Some people think that discouragement and living discouraged is just a total way of life. And to take courage away, you know, means to be discouraged. I mean, you have no, you don't have courage. And it's interesting as you read through the Bible when God wanted people to do stuff for him and wanted him to serve him and to go after it, he'd say, take courage, be of a good courage. And what does discouragement do? It takes courage away. It makes you say, I can't do it. I can't win. God wants me to do this, but there's no way I can do this. There's just, I don't have the ability, I don't have the strength, I don't have the means. That is discouragement. I've got this problem, I can't overcome, uh, these things are not going to change. That's discouragement. That's taking courage away. What a lot of people don't know is, that's where some of the battles are right there. Right there. Driving off, if anybody should be encouraged, it should be believers. But driving off discouragement is a huge thing in this fight he's talking about. And notice this, he said, for we do not, verse 12, wrestle against flesh and blood. So basically you could say it like this, it's not the stuff you see, and it's really not always the people you see. Some of the battles we have are because of things we harbor inside. They become the approach we bring to the situation. Have you ever seen people and they never seem to have problems with other people and then others almost regularly seem to have problems? Well, the Bible said a soft answer turns away wrath. And uh, sometimes our inward attitude really needs to change uh, if we're going to approach things and really have good relationships with one another and we think, you know, oh, it's their problem. But sometimes it's, it's us and our approach. Just thought, throw that in there. <laughs> well, I mean, it is Memorial Day weekend, you know, talking about people give their all, give their life, right? Here's the big thing. Not all battles take place overseas on some foreign shores. A lot of battles have taken place when, with one person uh, by themselves uh, and nobody knew. You with me? And so it says, we don't wrestle against really flesh and blood, just the natural thing, things you can see, but we wrestle against principalities. Notice this, for we do wrestle. 
don't want to read past if we're not done there. We do wrestle. Here's something I think is important is to know there is a wrestling in life. Have you ever wrestled with somebody? You know, what's the object to roll over on your back and just lay there? You know, if it's a little kid, yes. But when you're wrestling, you're trying to get an advantage over them. And when you get an advantage over them or they get an advantage over you, they pin you. And so what is the enemy trying to do? He's trying to pin you. But he's giving us instructions so you can win. Because how many people get pinned in life? And they don't have to, but they do get pinned. They get pinned with depression. And then they're just pinned by it for weeks, months, years. And then after a while of being pinned, they might hear a truth. And they say, yes, there is freedom and they start to wrestle again. And when they don't see something change immediately, they just lay down and go, I'm pinned. I'll, I'll never get out of this. But they don't realize that right there of saying, I can't get out of it, is really part of this battle that he's saying. And basically, it hurts. And people get like this. People, people can get like this in life, and it doesn't need to be that way. This is really what he's talking about here. If you go look at the troubles people faced and, and different things like that, he said, you don't need to be pinned. We do wrestle, but you don't have to be pinned. You don't have to cry uncle. You don't have to cry I surrender. You with me? Wouldn't it be nice to live free from depression and discouragement and doubt? And it's doable. Where is discouragement from? Well, let me just ask you this. If you come to church here, you know, we start praising the Lord. Maybe you felt a little blue before you got here, and we start praising the Lord. And you know, your arms start swinging a little bit. Your toes start tapping. And said, this ain't too bad right here. And you started, you were discouraged when you came, and you started getting a little bit of encouragement. Well, encouragement is from God. Discouragement is not from God. Taking courage away in the right, you know, when God wants you to have it in the right places of life is not from Him. And so when we're wrestling, and sometimes people don't know they're wrestling. Because just like Adam and Eve, the Bible said it was through His subtlety he was able to overcome Eve. You know, you could even be here and not recognize because your mind isn't renewed. You say, yeah, you can feel this in church and everything, and, and that's wonderful, but you won't experience this out on the streets, so to speak. That's part of this. And people don't realize there's such a current that they can leave and be totally discouraged and go, man, I know there's something there. God wants you to win. He wants you to triumph. He doesn't want you to live discouraged. He doesn't want you living condemned. He doesn't want... and Because people get pinned by condemnation and inferiority. 
and in God, that is not appropriate. He's not mad at you. He wants to help you. That's why this stuff is here. It's not about trying to break some power over some city and make stuff flow all over the place. Listen, you get God moving through you, and he's going to flow all over the place through you, period. You don't need to break anything in the heaven. You don't need to break anything here or there. You know, No, you deal with this stuff, and you do what you're supposed to. Stuff will just flow through your life. And so when he says here, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, he's basically saying we do wrestle, just know where you're wrestling. Know where you're wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Let me say something right now. Do not have... And I know this is a short command. Do not have an unhealthy estimation of the devil. So many people, you start talking about the devil, and the only training they've had in life is watching scary movies and how powerful the devil is and how weak they are and how we just kind of got to go the back alleys of life, jumping from behind one trash can to another, until we finally get to heaven. Because the devil. And people get afraid. Listen, the devil's involved all the time. You weren't afraid before. But he wants you to be afraid. And you really don't have to be afraid of anything. And if he comes, he came before you were afraid. In some dumb thoughts. And they were subtle so one thing you need to do when we talk about this stuff is do not be afraid. Some people get afraid, and they're like, hey, the devil's here. He was here before you were afraid. You're just focusing on him. Don't focus on him. You with me? And so it goes on to say, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood of principalities, powers against the rulers of the darkness of this age. So they're of this age, of this time. Against spiritual hosts and wicked, of, of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. That is good news. You can withstand in the evil day. What's the evil day when it comes? And you know, the evil day comes to different people. Well, you'll never get accepted to a college. You'll never get in over here. You'll never get the job. Resist that. Say, stop it in Jesus' name. Keep yourself encouraged. What happens if I don't get it? Well, big deal. You don't have it now. See how foolish it is? You don't got it now, so why be discouraged? Then it's only looking up. But have you ever been discouraged for a period of time? And then all of a sudden you got the job and you were like, woohoo, I got the job. And you went to work and that, but you were discouraged for, for a month and a half while you were waiting. What did that do for you? God didn't want that. That robbed your peace. That robbed your joy. 
that robbed you of something God contributed to your life in salvation that he wanted you to enjoy richly. And, and whether the devil, you know, did anything else, he just threw a couple of thoughts in there and made you just, you know, accept them. He didn't make you. But you accepted them. You lived discouraged in that time. God does not want you to be discouraged. You can make a stand against discouragement. You can. I, I knew you guys would be excited about this. We'll just keep reading. Uh, verse 14. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. This is that armor we're to put on. In other words, be a person who will get into the word of God and read for yourself. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, understand that God has washed you by his blood and you are in right standing if you've received Jesus. You are not guilty before him. Based on what Jesus did, you are in good standing with God, not based on what you did. He said, he said girded waist, breastplate of righteousness, verse 15, and having shod your feet. In other words, put on the preparation of the gospel of peace. In other words, be ready to share this good news with other people that, that they can be saved and they can walk with God. And then he goes on to say, above all these, taking the shield of faith, with it or with which you will be able to quench or extinguish all the fiery darts of the wicked one. In other words, you know, when those darts come, you can get them out. They can be put out. And who is the one who can do it? You can. It's good to know you can. How many people can put out a fire? Everybody pretty much. You with me? I mean, have you ever, when you were little, you know those candles are burning, you're like, let me put them out, let me put them out. You know, I was little, I remember my grandma touching her finger and rubbing them together with her tongue, getting her getting them wet and just pinching the candles. I, I'm going to do that. I got a lot of spit. I got plenty of fingers. I'd like to give that a try. I was young and I could do it. You know, knowing me, I would at least try spitting on them. But, but I could extinguish those. You know, we'd be out having a barbecue or something like that and we get done and the thing's coals are burning. I want to put them out. All I need is a cup with water and you pour it on there. You can, just as well as an adult, you can extinguish. Just as well as somebody else, you can extinguish a fire. Amen? And that's what he's saying. The shield of faith, you're going to be able to quench every fiery dart that the wicked one throws. You, you can, I can, every believer can. Sometimes a believer just has a fiery dart that hit him that said you can't. Think of that. A fiery dart that says you can't. Well, the Bible said you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. So you need to extinguish that and say, I can. You with me? And so we're going to just keep reading because of the excitement. Uh, you just be here all day long. And uh, he said, 
you can quench all the fiery darts. And he said, take up the helmet of salvation. And we talked about the helmet of salvation. That's really thinking about you belonging to God and what he paid for in your life. Getting that in your head. And he said, for a helmet, salvation. And then notice this, it says, uh, and the sword of the Spirit. That's where we want to read today. The sword of the Spirit. Or the sword that works in the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit. And he tells you what this sword is that works in the Spirit realm. Because remember, if we're wrestling not with flesh and blood, those are things that are in the physical but we're wrestling against principalities and powers. They're not in the physical. So how can I affect them in the realm they're in, in the spirit realm, unless I've got a tool that I can apply that will reach in and affect them? And so it's called the sword of the spirit or the sword, you could say, that works in the spirit realm. But I'm a natural being. So that means I have an ability in God to reach into the spirit realm and have effect in the spirit realm. Every believer believes this. Uh, not, not me. Then you don't believe in praying because you're reaching into the spirit realm. You're talking into God's realm. You with me? And you're expecting that from God's realm, the spirit realm, stuff will come back into the natural realm, whether it's a job or some relative coming to know the Lord, or whatever the thing is that you're praying about, you are actually in the natural reaching in, so to speak, into the Spirit, expecting stuff to come back into the natural. And in all reality, everything we experience in life is this way. We know Hebrews 11.3 says, it talks about how the things that are seen were not made of things which appear, and he said, through faith we understand that the worlds were formed by the word of God. By what he said, so that the things which do appear did not come from things that are present. So in other words, they came out of the spirit realm and now are here. And we wear clothes and we have stuff that we stand on. That stuff came out of the spirit realm. And so we still have contact with the spirit realm, and we can get things out of that realm into this realm, or we can affect things that are in that realm. Isn't it interesting when he said, you don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, so on and so forth, and he talked about standing, that James said in this realm, he said, if you would submit to God, he said, if you personally would resist the devil and he's not in the seen realm. He said he would flee and move from you. So I can reach in, so to speak, if I know how to, and affect things and move things around in the spirit realm. Things that dog people's path, things that just seem to always be there can change. And that's what he's trying to teach. But you have to have a weapon. And he said one of the weapons we have is called here the sword of the spirit. It reaches in to the spirit realm. Or it can, so to speak. And notice this. He said the sword of the spirit. God wants you to know, just like he said, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Earlier on in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, he said, do not give the devil a place. 
So he's poking from that realm wanting you to accept things. Well, if you don't give him a place, if he said don't give him a place, then he's basically saying you have power to not give him a place. So that means if you're wrestling, you can win. Because if I'm not giving him a place, then he's saying you're wrestling, everybody's wrestling, you can give him a place, but you know how he gets his place? Through false reasonings. What do you mean by false reasonings? Well, everybody has this problem. You know, everybody's an alcoholic. Everybody's this. Everybody does this now. And through false reasonings, this is who you are. This is the way you're going to end up. You're going to be poor. If poor is determined for everybody, then everybody would be there. Somehow some people have risen above. If discouragement is for everybody, then everybody be discouraged. But there are people who rise above. And so in this wrestling, what happens is when we don't have the helmet on and we don't realize it is my right and I have peace, we can let peace be pinned. You with me? But I've got it. And so when I'm wrestling, I don't give in to the fact of a current test and a trial that says, you can't have peace, you can't win. You with me? And if you've allowed yourself to be pinned in the wrestling thing, he said, neither give place. That means you have the ability, no matter what or how long, but what happens is when we've been away for a long time in a certain way, we see ourselves like that, we think that's who we are. No wonder he, in this fourth chapter, said, you need to be renewed in the spirit of your mind so you see yourself like who you are in Christ. I hear people all the time identify with them themselves, who they are by their family and who they are themselves, instead of identifying with who they are in Christ. They'll tell you how they're going to end up like this because, you know, well, my dad was like this, my mom was like this, well, my sister was like this, and, and everybody's like this, and they're totally identifying with people that they don't even have life in, so to speak. You have natural life, but the Bible said you were crucified with Christ. The Bible said we're one with Him. If you're one with Him, that doesn't mean one and one. Because how many is one and one? Two. He said, you're one in Christ. Not two, one. Means, one means to the exclusion of any other. No wonder Paul said, I was crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. But it's not me. But it's Christ's life in me. So when we identify with things, we need to identify, we got new life in our spirit. I need to renew this thing up here called my mind. And I got to think like this and I got to realize this is not God's destination for me. I don't have to stay pinned. I don't have to be like this. That's why I got to think different. Because this wrestling will make us just like mere men. If we don't know. But when we find out, we can rise up and go, I do have peace. I do have life. And we can start winning because he said, don't give a place. Then that means I don't have to give him a place. He can't just get one. 
You with me? And so here he said, take the sword of the Spirit. If you notice here, there's only one other advancing thing in this whole armor. In other words, the shoes. That's an advancing thing. But in this armor, you think about all the other things. This is really an advancement tool and it is a weapon. And it's really one of really two weapons. In other words, we can get people who are lost saved. But here, he said, the sword of the Spirit. This sword you have is not of the sheath that's on your side. You know, like, you know, in Arizona, it's a little different than in California because, you know, you can walk around with a gun here. It's kind of cool. You know, you howdy, partner. You know, I might carry a cap gun, but but it's still a gun. and But they can carry around real guns out in the open here and stuff like that. And then I, I've been places where people will carry like a, a big knife in a sheath. You know, that, that leather thing or whatever fabric it is. And that holds it. And then they, they could pull that thing out. And they could, they could use it. And see, we have a sword of the Spirit, but where is the sheath? Where is it stored? Where do we draw it from? What, what does it come from? And we're going to look at that real quick before we leave, because that's important. This is a, a weapon that works, and you can work it. I said, you can work it. And so when he said the sword of the Spirit, notice what it said after. Well, we'll stick with that for a second. Sword of the Spirit or sword that works in the Spirit, it is of the spiritual realm, this sword. Not just natural. It does reach there. It does have effect. It does. When you pray, you have an effect in heaven. God hears your prayers. When you speak things, things work. They do. Not the minute you see them when you start praying then it starts getting in motion. And right here it says the sword of the Spirit. So this sword of the Spirit is a sword that works there against all these things. But notice this, which is the Word of God. It is the Word of God. What is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God? I'm going to say this before we read on. People are going to hear what I'm saying with preconceived ideas. Sometimes some of the best things people can do is get rid of their old ways of thought. Because, you know, old ways of thoughts are like ruts in a road. When you try to go down a different path, you just kind of, your wheels will fall right back into it. Because there are scriptural truths here that would benefit people greatly. But what people don't realize many times, they've got trenches dug that are not always appropriate in their mind. And it's just ways when they go to hear a certain truth, they just fall right back in that rut. Because that's what they heard. They've accepted it. They didn't question it. They just accepted it. Didn't examine what does the Word of God really say on this subject? How does this really work? And then they'll keep that, and it's not bringing results, but they'll keep that way because that's it. No, bringing no change to their life, but they'll just stick with it. They'll just stick with it. I'm just going to stick with it. 
So we need to understand if it never works, it's supposed to work, so there is a right approach to this. And if it is the sword of the Spirit, we see the disciples, we see Jesus, who is our example of how to live. He dealt with devils, and they really went. He didn't clamor around for months dealing with things and years and for eternity and trying to make something happen. The same with the disciples. You with me? And so that being said, there needs to be a proper approach to this and there needs to be a, a, a scene of this in the proper light. So we may look at some familiar verses of Scripture here for a couple of minutes, but look at them new. Let them challenge maybe things that are in your thinking. You know what I mean? Because some people can approach this right now and say, well, this will work for some people, but it won't work for me. No, you're not even open to accepting what it says. If God's telling you this and we're reading something he said, these things are facts. You with me? You, you can get to the place where you don't believe, but you read. People can get like that. They can get... They can be closed, but think they're open. You know what I mean? Because they've just never seen it work or in their own life for a long time. It used to. I don't know what's going on now. But listen, God wants these things active and operative. You know, go read the Bible in the New Testament when it talks about prayer and what some of the end results are. He wants you to see the answer to your prayer so your joy could be full. He wants you full of joy based on the fact that you see stuff happen in your life, God's stuff. In other words, when everybody's like, well, I don't, know, I don't know if I believe that, I believe that, that used to happen, doesn't always happen, sometimes happen, you just have joy. You're like, okay, whatever. Well, how come you're all joyful? Because I get answers. That's what God wanted. And so if that's what he wants, we need to look at the end result and go, that's what he wants. Here's what we got to do to get there. And he wants you there. I said, he wants you there more than you want to be there. You with me? I said, he wants you there more than you want to be there. Yeah, but you don't know. Stop it. He wants you there more than you want to be there. Some people said, I wanted to be there, and then I kind of got discouraged. He still wants you to be there more than you want to be there. He wants you to take up hope and go, we, I can get there. And it doesn't have to take forever. You with me? So, here we go. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. But throw that out, the Word of God. Sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit. We know because, see, people start connecting. They preach the rest of the sermon for you. They get beyond. They're on number three. We're not going there. That's where preconceived ideas stop you. And if we can get your wheels out of that rut and get them into another place, this will work for you every single time. So when he said the sword of the spirit it is a weapon in the spirit realm let's go to revelation the 12th chapter a familiar verse of scripture probably to some people but let's look at it again revelation the 12th chapter 
sword of the Spirit. This is what works in the Spirit. Somebody said, I know this verse. Well, let's, let's let it ring good in our, in our hearts and know it fresh and new. Revelation, the 12th chapter, and we'll begin reading in verse 7. And war broke out in heaven. 12-7. And war broke out in heaven. You could say it like this, in the unseen realm. And his angels fought. And Michael and his angels, which we know those are God's personal angels that, that work for us and benefit us. And his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought. So there's this war going on. But they did not prevail, nor was there a place found for them in heaven any longer. So this battle happened, and Jesus has stripped the devil of his power. His angels have conquered them. He said, you can always win. Then it goes on to say, there was no place found in heaven. And so they were chucked out. Verse 9, so the great dragon was cast out, and the serpent of old called the devil and Satan. So that's who he's called, who deceives the whole world. He tricks them. He doesn't have, that's why we got to understand, he uses trickery. I said he uses trickery. He uses words to trick people. He wants them to believe why it's right. That's why we stick with his word. Who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast with him. So they're here. They're here. They've been here. People that are doing all this foolish stuff and then you hear on the news they'll go, this person we don't understand, they just killed these people for no reason. We, what was in their head? Deception. Why would somebody do that? See, when you take the gospel away, you can't medicate the whole world because you give them medication and they'll still act up. And people say, we don't know what's going on. I think I do. It's in the Bible. I don't understand, you know, if God's all-powerful. Listen, murder was one of the first things that appeared after sin. Very, some of the first things. Disobedience, people started trying to approach. Think about it. Go back to the book of Genesis. Soon as man fell, the first thing man started to do, as God set up and instituted things, man started trying to cover their own sin. God said, that don't work. Fig leaves, no good. He worked to cover them, but Jesus ultimately removes them. The very next thing is, he teaches the, you know, their kids how and what they should offer up. And, and, and so one kid came with what God was pleased with and is pleased with the sacrifice. Another one comes, and God's not pleased with what that person's sacrificing. Why? Because it wasn't what God told them to sacrifice. They decide, we're going to approach on our own. We're going to give what we want to give. We're going to give how we want to give. And it works in the church, but it works in the world too, where people say, well, we're going to approach God on this, and he's going to have to let us in. 
These are all things that started right off. And if they were prevalent back then, I mean, when there was hardly anybody here, it started happening, you could see the works of how things are. False ways of approaching God or trying to do things on our own terms. And what's interesting is the first murder that happened in the Bible was over religious sacrifice. And what do we see all over the Middle East and all kinds of places? People fighting and attacking over religion. People that are trying to approach on their own terms and not God's terms, it's going to happen until Jesus comes back and then it'll be wiped out. But if it happened back then, we need to know that's how it's going to roll today. And we shouldn't freak out. And so back then, what happens? Murder comes right away. Unprovoked murder. Somebody who's loving God and just offering a sacrifice their own way. Cain slew Abel, and it was all over their walks with God. One wouldn't do it God's way. He got provoked and angered, and an unprovoked anger, death. And then people today, because they don't look to the true source of the depths of great knowledge that is above all things, the Word of God, they try to figure it out. And they say, well, what we can do is give them a pill. And, but we don't know why this happens. We don't know why men act like animals. You with me? Because they yield to stuff. They choose it. They like it. They think it's right. They think it's cool. They're deceived. And then they act out. And you'll hear some of them even say, I heard voices. We believe you. We believe you. Everybody hears voices. Somebody said, good, I'm not a kook after all. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> Stuff comes to people. I'm not talking voices. Hey, you. Like, I mean, thoughts come to people. And so here, notice this. He said, they're on the earth, they're here to deceive. Verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might and he is writing to believers. That's us. He said, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God. And the power of his Christ have come. Remember Jesus said after he left, he said, you are not going to outwardly see the kingdom of God. He said, for the kingdom of God is not going to come at first with outward observation. He said, what's going to happen? He said, this unseen kingdom is going to enter into your heart. When you get born again, God's going to just come and live in you personally. All the power of the universe, the greater one, is going to come live inside of you. And he says it's not going to be without observation. Naturally, it's going to be spiritual. This spiritual is what we release through the sword. And so he said, then I heard a loud voice saying, above all this other junk going on, in heaven, now salvation, strength. And the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come. For the accuser, he's now going to define his weapon. The accuser of the brethren. Who accuses the brethren? The enemy. He's not your friend. 
How would you like to have a friend that accuses you all the time? Sorry. And, um, you know, they just accuse you all the time. And, and that was a joke, you know, sorry. And they, they accuse you. See, she took it all personal. They see, the devil jumped right in. See, this morning she was 15 minutes late because we always meet. And she said, I had this happen, this had. She said, I know I'm not supposed to make excuses, so I sent her a picture of Pinocchio. <laughs> see, she's all about her. And I was talking about me accusing, you know. It was a joke. Somebody's like, I can't believe you did that. Well, you don't know me very well. Anyway, <laughs> and, uh, but I was just joking about it, okay, just relax, and now I feel like I'm in spiritual battle with all you guys. <laughs> but the accuser of the brethren, how would you like to have an accuser as your friend? See, now you understand what I'm saying. How would you like that? What are they going to do? They're going to bring accusations against you. An accuser is one who speaks things against you. He's called the accuser of, of the world. No, the brethren. There's a battle you fight that others don't fight. He accuses you. He tries to make you feel guilty, condemned, but there are just some absolute truths you have to get in the Bible. That's why he talked about the breastplate of righteousness. You're innocent before God. So how can he accuse successfully if you know? But this is his business. He accused them, the accuser of the brethren, who accuses them before God day and night. Wouldn't it have been nice to have just said uh, during the day? Because then, But how many people have woke up in the middle of the night? How many people thought, thought tomorrow's going to be a better day and they, they, they had a bad night's sleep because they were accused all night long, and they kept listening to it, and then they woke up the next day, and they thought, it's a new day, it'll be better, and now they're accused again. But what about the verses that say the path of the righteous and the day goes, grows brighter and brighter day, day by day? So during the day, it should be getting better. And then he said, behold, I give my beloved sweet sleep. They shall lay their heads down and have sweet sleep. So that's God's destination. So accusations that would try to keep you awake, no bueno. You should fight for your right to a good night's sleep. You with me? Full night. I don't care what I face in life. I'll go to bed and go, I'm going to have a good night's sleep. I'll wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to have a good day. And if I wake up at night thinking about it, I say, I resist those thoughts and get my mind on the Lord, and I say, thank you, Lord. I'm walking with you. I mean, if it all comes down to, it comes down to, we all, I mean, if the ultimate of all the failures and everything is we die, we win. We're there. So what's the big deal? And so the fact of the matter is he accuses day and night. That doesn't mean you have to live in this all the time. But he said day and night, he's been cast down. Where was he cast down? Here. And notice this very next verse in verse 12, and it said, and they overcame him. So you could say they overcame the accusations of him. You with me? They overcame the accusations of him. 
because that's how he comes, with accusations. So, so when the Bible said, fight the good fight of faith, what does that mean? We're just fighting to stay in the arena of faith. God said this about me, I'm beloved. What's he wanting you to do? Get outside that arena and believe you're not loved. So if we're going to stay as people of faith, we stay in the arena of faith. We, we go, I am beloved. I am loved. I am accepted. Because he said that. And so if I've just got this big fire going, I can start extinguishing that fire. We, when growing up, we had a tree. We had pictures of me sitting in my front yard. And we planted this tree. And, and they, they dug a hole about this big around, like kind of like a big wash tub barrel thing, and dug it down. And then they sunk it about, I think my dad did about a foot, uh, meaning the dirt level was there, and then put a tree in it. And we have pictures of me and a couple of other kids sitting. I mean, we're, you know, two, three years old, four years old, sitting with our feet in that hole, kind of like a little sitting that way. Well, that thing got watered over the years. And it got watered, 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 and it kept growing, and it kept growing, and got kept growing, until eventually left unchecked. It got, I mean, they call them like alligator roots. You know what I'm talking about? They're just on top, big, long things. Well, because it had been buried, some of them were under, and they just barely show, but they're getting in, moving the sidewalk, causing all kinds of havoc. So we decide we're going to cut the tree down. So me, having a fascination with putting fires out, power tools, all that stuff. I'm like, I'll get the chainsaw, I'll do it. One of my friends, we went over there, and I got up in the tree, and we're cutting stuff, and I mean, it's falling all the way across the street down into the cul-de-sac, and I mean, it's just, we're making a mess. We get the thing cut down, then we got to get the roots out, because the roots have just had opportunity to be there for so long. And you know, the Bible talks about a root of bitterness, and by this, people become defiled. And people can let bitterness grow inside of them until it just seems that that's just who they are, but it's really not. There's just a root in there. It's the way they think. And so I remember we started digging and working and digging and working and digging and working, and week after week after week, this hole got bigger until you could make a swimming pool, but not real deep. Serious, that big, no joke. I mean, I mean you know, 20, 30 feet across, and I'm not joking, and just tearing roots out and tearing roots out and tearing roots out because what happened once that thing was cut, you'd see these little things start sprouting over here and out of here because those roots were still there. But we just worked and were persistent at it until they were all gone, and then that was it. And then later on, you'd see one root here or there, but the concrete started settling. We just stayed with it. We just stayed with it. And maybe you've got something you just had for a long time, but if you'll stay with it, you can extinguish that. You can get that stuff out. But notice he's called the accuser of the brethren. And it said, and they overcame him. Because we're wrestling and we overcome him. But how do we overcome him? Just by wrestling in your mind? No. No. Because remember, your mind is not in the spirit realm. But he is. So I got to reach there. To extinguish and remove, because think about it, if the darts are hitting you in the head, they're coming from somewhere, and they're hitting you in the mind, and nobody else is seeing them, but they're coming from a different arena, that's where you're going to hit, or you need to, 
And so when he's talking about wrestling, and then here he said, they overcame him. This is the dude we wrestle with. They overcame him. If they overcame him and we're supposed to overcome him, then how can we do this? Notice what he said. They overcame him because they were good looking. Somebody's like, man, because they had a lot of money. No. They overcame him by. So notice they overcame him. You could say it this way. They won. Whoever these believers were, they won. And actually, it's talking about us. They overcame him by. Notice this. You want to win? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. But I think people need to realize you are an overcomer. There's too many verses. You know, I go to try to read on to the next part. And you get restrained. You know why that is? Because sometimes there's stuff just not as settled as it really needs to be inside your heart. And so God will do that. A good stonemason knows where the next stone goes. And what makes them fit right. And God is the best to build you up. And so when he said, and they overcame him, it means they won against him. And they won by the blood of the Lamb. They won by the blood of the Lamb. But let's keep reading. And the word of their testimony. They won by the blood of the Lamb. And the word of their testimony. They won by the blood of the Lamb. And the word of their testimony. They won by the blood of the Lamb. And the word of their testimony. They won by the blood of the Lamb. You know, there's teaching out there, and don't get me wrong, there's ministers I like that say it, and they say, you got to apply the blood. You don't got to apply the blood. It's up in heaven. It made you accepted in the family of God. You ain't taking it, putting it places. It's up there. How many people got to take the blood that sanctified everything and go sprinkle it everywhere else? In the Old Testament, in the type of nobody. The blood is what bought you. It's what redeemed you. It was the payment that was made. You already are redeemed if you're saved. That means you are already bought back. And uh, we're not going to be able to go on in this, but I will say this, and I guess we'll pick up next week. But the fact of the matter is you were bought back. When you approach the devil in your battle, and we've said it before and we'll say it again, you need to start thinking appropriately. When? When you're in the battle? No, through your life. You need to use your imagination. Everybody's got one in here. Everybody's using it all the time. Some of us are using it for good. Some of us use it for different areas. We all use our imagination. People say, when I was a kid, I used to be a dreamer. I used to be this. No, you still are a dreamer. You just dream about going bankrupt. You with me? Or you dream about winning the lottery. You dream about picking the right numbers. How many people have dreamt for a week all day long? Oh, man, they bought the ticket. And they're like, 37, 42, 16, 9, 8. Uh, I won. And then they, what do they do all week long? All they do is imagine what it would be like to have those billions of dollars, how they're going to treat people, 
hey, boss, I quit. <laughs> now, they don't carry it out, right? Whatever. See you neighbors later. I'm moving on up. People are doing that all day long. They see a Ferrari go by, and they're like, I'll have three of those. And then they picture themselves, you know. People use their imagination. Adults use their imagination all the time. You know, if I was a quarterback, I'd tell you what I'd do. And they see themselves out there. You don't want to know the other picture I was thinking. Their pads fit, but their stomach's out here. I'd be out there. They don't even see themselves like that. You know, like I'd be chucking the ball all over the place. It's amazing how the imagination works. But they'd be seeing themselves running four seconds and this, you know, and they're like, I'd be so fast, nobody'd catch me. And if you were out there, you'd get tackled in a second. You'd be all dislocated, <laughs> crying. But think about how your imagination works. I'll tell you, I know what I'd do if I was out there. If you were out there, you'd be crying. <laughs> but see, people use their imagination all the time. All the time. And it's a God tool. It's a God tool. So in closing, because we're going to pick this up, I think, next week. In closing, if they overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, what is your testimony? See, people's testimony is not right. What is your testimony? You want me to tell you how to have a testimony? Somebody says, well, I got one. I got saved. Here's how you get a real testimony. You want a real testimony? Look and see what Jesus bought and paid for, how he has already delivered you from the power of the devil, and then imagine it. Picture it. I'm separated from him. This does not have power over me. Imagine yourself raised up, like he said, with him. What happens is there is a testimony that comes from the lips that people just know what to say, and there is a testimony that comes from the heart. That's the one that prevails. You get that on your lips. And the way you get it in your heart, start imagining. I'm raised up with him. You know how many people, when they fight, they just try to fight the good thing and just imagine something good? You need to imagine what's right. You are a conqueror. You have been raised up. Then use those words. That testimony will put the enemy on the run. I said, it'll put him on the run. But you got to get that testimony in you by how you imagine. You can't think on the negative side of life all the time and think you're not a success and God's not for you and he's not on your side and then just think you're going to rise up and go, bam. You need to get that testimony in your heart by your imagination. Know that you are a conqueror. Know what he said in his word. And when you start speaking, those words will go into the spirit and they'll begin to work.